Welcome to episode 96 of the Corey Shepherd Podcast. We have plenty of things to talk about today, you know. I think I say that every week. Every week I say we have plenty of things to talk about. What's new cover new party and some people fall in this party and I was privy to a little part of the party myself. And I went to a party this weekend. I had to tell all about this party I went, right? <laughs> if you see any episode artwork, I want to take this little moment to say congratulations to Mr. and Mrs. Anthony Chumley. Congratulations to them. And the nuptials over the weekend, so I went to a party down that side. Somebody from her old party singing real passionate about corruption in the country, which is interesting to me. It's amazing how when people are not in power no more, they know all who corrupt and who do this and who's supposed to do that. Hey, this is a blessed place. Well, welcome to episode 96 of the Corey Shepherd Podcast. Of course, you can find this on all your podcasting platforms, Apple, Google Podcasts, um, Spotify, Audible, Tune in radio. Everywhere you find things to listen to, you can find this. And of course, the video will always be up on YouTube. Now, I'm going straight into this wedding thing, right? Because I went to a wedding over the, over the, over the weekend there, as I tell you. And the wedding is of some people who is listeners to this podcast as well as contributors to this podcast. So I, I was happy to be there. I had a great time. This is a long time I in Wine Low. Me and the wifey here, and the wifey put on a little black Chinese outfit. The thing was nice. So we decide we go in the wedding and thing. And I get our official role to play in the wedding. I was frightened like hell. You come and they tell me, I is the host of the wedding. Now, wedding hosting, or MCing, I should say, is very, very different than podcasting. You know how much other people in this room with me right now? <laughs> Nobody. The only person who's been here when I recorded is the man Zachary himself. And he's making me nervous in my own right, but public speaking is a thing now. I started getting nervous. Although, funny enough, every weekend I lecture in front of groups of people as much as 100 people. These days it's more Zoom than anything. Uh, work-wise, a big part of my job is presentations and things, but public speaking, they say, is the second... Uh, biggest fear people have over falling, I think they say, something like that. So I have experienced that a lot. Now, the funny thing is that I've experienced the fear, but I like doing it. I enjoy when I get in front of crowds talking. What I care take is the five, six days before, anticipating how this, how this thing will go and what I will say and if it will be good and that kind of thing. So to be honest, I try to back out of this gig, eh? <laughs> Become a boy Chumley. Now, if you know right, Chumley is the man who is responsible for the Cadence Club and a lot of the social media push on this website i want to say too that chumley is a man responsible for why we on youtube because I, I was determined to keep this as an audio experience and he's the kind of guy he's not a forceful fella he's just laying away it is and he's like dog you had to do video you had to do video video is where he's at so i'm doing the video and everything now thanks to him like, very very grateful for all his input and just a little sounded board i think he's generally somebody who i could call and talk to about you know when you have somebody who don't talk much they listen plenty <laughs> So he's here, all my issues and all my worries and all my fears. I always talk to him about the podcasting. Now, I make that sound bad, like if it's my wife. But nah, he's listening to them things. So I was just saying this to say that now that he married, hopefully oh, man, wife still allow me to call and talk. So you, don't tell me, you know what I mean? I hope, I hope that's in change. <laughs> but I try to get out of this MC and gig because I have a fellow by the name of Keegan Barrett. Salute to my boy Keegs. And Keegs is a professional MC. And I remember having a conversation with Keegs uh, some months ago. And I say, boy, 
I should have a professional MC for my wedding because after MCing that wedding, I regret asking my father to MC the wedding. That was a wicked act. When your first son get married, you're supposed to just sit down there and enjoy the ceremony. You have no right to be MCing on them thing. Although he tell me he really enjoyed it. And he a man like to talk like me too. So it went how it went. And I was glad to have him there regardless of what position I was in. But MCing is a lot of work. <laughs> And I only found that out when, from talking to Keeks a couple months ago. So I say, you know what? I ain't want to go and mess up this man's special day. And you know, this is a day now people have video and they're going to watch this 40 years down the road to see me mumbling and fumbling and trying to, you know what I mean? So I say, let me get Keeks and let Keeks handle this wedding because I don't want to smoke and I don't want no problems. And knowing me, when you say I black out and start to talk about Gary Griffith and what's you can take any man wedding. <laughs> I don't think that would be such a nice thing. So, okay, Keeks. You know, Keeks busy the damn Sunday. So, I end up having to go and do this. But listen, I enjoyed it thoroughly. So, I'm just saying that to say that if you have a wedding, check me. <laughs> I'm officially now nah, just joking. But it was, I had a great time with the whole ceremony. There are some parts that make my learn easier. And I want to salute to some people there as well. To Sasha, who was the wedding coordinator, who keep everything mellow and bubbling. I appreciated her. Just basically telling me what to say and guiding me through the thing. You know me, a man is forget. One of my biggest problems on the day, if you listen to this podcast long enough, you know that I have a tendency to mess up people's name. So I say, boy, I had to call the man mother-in-law name. Next thing I mix up the mother-in-law name with he last name. And I was, I was very, very worried about the names. But Sasha helped me through that. I want to say salute as well to a guy I never know him before. I never hear about him. A man named DJ Chacha. We go talk about the ceremony and thing a little bit. I hope they don't mind me talking about that. But the vibes was in the reception. It was one of the best weddings I ever went. And that is thanks in no small part to a man by the name of DJ Chacha. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know if all you know Chacha. I never hear about him. And I come in the morning, you know, we had a nervous orange early. And I want to meet the DJ. I want to meet the song man, song check, get the feel of the room. I want to get everything right so I could be right for this man right there. But dread. I meet Chacha is the most unassuming person and I'm trying to get a vibe from him because I had to do this entrance thing. And I, I mean, I, I suppose I could talk. I could find things to talk about, right? But what I worried about is me and no hype, man. So I had to say, welcome to Mr. Mrs. Chacha. And hype up people. Me and Bill for that. You know? So I'm trying to get a feel from the DJ. Now I'm saying, listen, when I say them things, drop this song one time and they don't leave me out and dead air hanging, songing like a fool. And this man is the most calm. You know when you nervous and people overcome everything I tell him? Yeah, 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 you do your thing, man. I will just follow you. And I was like, follow me. I want to follow you. Why are you looking for help here? This man was of no help whatsoever. He didn't really say nothing. He gave me no encouragement. I said, what the hell is this? This is the original setup. But let me tell you something. That guy is on point. <laughs> that fellow named Chacha, because even during the reception. Boy, listen, Chacha was just... Anything I say, Chacha have an answer for it on the turntable. That make the thing flow smooth. Many, many people would have think that me and Chacha work out and rehearse something. I might have asked somebody in the wedding tell me, good, you're on the DJ on point, but he ain't missing a cue. I was like, cue, this man, I know cue, he ain't taking me on. He just playing basically, listening to what he's saying and he playing off it. But I want to play for you. I want you to think for a minute, right? Of all the wedding songs. Think of your wedding song. The song for your first dance. The song for your kick sticking, the song for your entrance, all the things that you had to choose on the day, right? <laughs> and let me tell you, we're uneasy. Because when it's time for the bridal party to enter, and they say, well, I, I, 
Welcome everybody, attract your attention to the doors at the back of your room And please help us welcome your bridal party You know why I here next? Let me tell you about <laughs> Streets anywhere we go Dogs them serious Dogs them no nervous Anywhere we go Man we cool like a Eskimo No boy can go round we I know so the things hit me G one phone call, it takes we make some more wipe off her earth and drop down flat. No, I didn't expect that. <laughs> because when, when you see people having a wedding, it couldn't possibly be that is one phone call, it takes we make. I said, well, what is really happening here? What kind of, what kind of wedding? What kind of gangster wedding this is? I so I had all kinds of things planned to talk about. <laughs> and then it turned into be, it turned into be a whole tug scene. Now I want to tell you. Some of the men who was in there, the men and the women who was a part of that bridal party is men I know. And uh, without calling any names, right? <laughs> These fellas don't have no gangster in them. <laughs> it's a set of nice boys coming in, but enough of them stay so. Nobody never stays so in these fellas. Like, I went fatty more with these men. I ain't calling no name now. Call them after. But these boys don't have no badness in front of them. They have no record of any way because one phone call it take them don't know who to call if it's phone call time. <laughs> and they come into that. But I will say that the bridal party on the bride side, they're a little tough. You know what I mean? <laughs> them look like they have a little bit of gangster in them because some of them are talking about they come in and they spray up the bridal party is the best way I could describe it to you because it's not no pie pie they shooting. I see people like oh Zachary every minute Zachary come out to him is like like he's shooting up his parents it's like that they enter and I'm trying to think to myself but well, what manner of expression of love is this this is not supposed to be friends and family and loved ones who come in together here or will just shoot up the whole place but little did I know that the bride and groom had plans to gangster up the place too. Because here, what them go? I'll get the entrance again. I say, ladies and gentlemen, you rise to your feet and get out your seats. And welcome for me for the second time ever, Mr. and Mrs. Anthony Chumley. How oh, them man bow them back? Well, I'm in shock. With the grabbers think like alligator pan The scheme hot today we are the weatherman A boy should have dropped but the beretta jam Long time we no kill a man I don't know that wedding <laughs> I don't know if that's all wedding come to these days Where it's just so long time you no kill a man Why? And I say I think it to myself but again Just like the fellas in the bridal party I know this man long time, no chumly. I never see him fight in school. I never see him advantage nobody. I never see him gangster nobody. Now, in fairness to these boys, it had some different type of men who went to school. You go back to your school days, right? It had men who used to advantage people and men who was bad. And men who come from certain area where you wouldn't trouble them. None of these fellas was any of them things. They also had some men who was just outright punk. And you could do them where you want and just spend their money when lunchtime come. And them fellas had a... None of these fellas wasn't none of them thing neither. Them was just cool dudes. Nobody never used to trouble them. Them ain't troubling nobody. But I want to know, like, all of a sudden, Beretta German, you see weather man, and you kill a man. And I thinking, but what kind of entrance is that wedding is this for a good guy like Chumley? I thinking, wedding songs. Like I tell them in the wedding, I say wedding song change. When you use our wedding songs back in the day, is heavy love in them songs. You know what I mean? Like, when the bride entered. And let me tell you something. You see me on wedding. 
I started to realize, like, I's an emotional guy, you know. I, I, want to, I want to play a hard man, yeah? I want to play a tough guy. But he's an emotional man, you know, because when the bride and I want to cry. I don't know if it is because it reminded me of my wedding day, or if it's just the, 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 the love in the air, or they choose a really nice venue where we had an amazing view. And I was, I don't know what the hell was wrong with me. I started to feel emotional. Because she come in, and I can't play this one, right? Because I'm sure pull, if this thing get pulled along for them two songs, I'm sure the next one will pull it along, but... If you know Etta James, Etta James is one of my favorite artists. Etta James has several songs that I love dearly. Like, she, have, she also has a song named Wedding Day. I believe it's Wedding Day is the name of the song. And it's about a wedding, but it's not a very, um, it's not a very happy song about a wedding, right? <laughs> I think the idea was somebody getting left at the altar. But she generally has a lot of saddish songs. Like you love somebody who don't love you. That's that was that's a James real thing. I, I I'd rather go blind is one of my favorite songs from her. Um, a Sunday kind of love. I want a Sunday kind of love. I love that last pass Saturday night. Big big songs, you know. I think this song is all I could do is cry. Only if I could take a chance and play all I could do is cry, boy. I take any chance. If it get pulled off on YouTube, I'll go ahead and edit this all. But you had to hear a little piece of this. But Etta James, when the bride walk in and they announce the bride and everything, the pastor say when the bride move in, everybody stand. So just watching Chumley walk down with his mom, walk down the aisle, that was a little emotional for me. But boy, listen, when she break that door and I hear, at last, boom, 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 boom. My love. And I saw it later on when I hear the Dexter Dab something, I say, but wait, even when I hear the Etta James and I emotional, like shot firing, like this man take long to pop the question or she was shot firing shot from early, but at last, you know, 
But that was that was a, a special moment for me, and I, I was glad to be a part of it. I was glad to be there. The pastor, his vibes, the pastor, like good old talk. The thing ran smooth, you know what I mean? Everything was smooth. The speeches were really, really nice. Uh, it was nice seeing some old Fatima men, men like Kevin Farrick, men like Renny Dollarby. It's the old Detro, you know. We had a little football side named Detro, like the whole of Detro come back out, man, like Keenan Carmichael. It was just good seeing them fellas together. And them fellas remain friends since Fatima days. That is a nice thing to see. I always talk about my partner, Colonel, who I know him. He's friends since Newton Boys. Kevin Farrick too, you know what I mean? And good to see men doing good and coming up on them kind of thing. And I always had an uncle too who used to tell me all the time, he say, boy, you have to get married and make children, boy. I say, but we were married and make children, nobody. He say, boy, listen. He said the gangsters and them married in two and three and four women, and they're making all kind of children. He said, what go happen when all the children come? He said, all the good people don't want to make no children, and they're only making one child. They don't want to get married. They want to stay single. And all the good people doing that. So we go, we go end up in a trend that with no good children, then and only gangster children. <laughs> so I'm saying that to say, but congratulations on the wedding but listen the vibes is in the after party because you see the youth named Aaron Farrick <laughs> he bad and that little DJ called Chacha that guy is listen when Chacha starts a whine I don't think I ever see a DJ whine so but what the DJ whining so far I know DJs play song and entertain people but Chacha is the most entertained. This is the same man who was now playing all them slow songs. Ain't gave me back no kind of vibes. and answering nothing when I asked him. Thing. He's just watching me blank. He's like, yeah, you go ahead. I'm following you. And the man turned out to be one of the most set of vibes in the party. Because them as fellas like the old school hip-hop. They clearly like a lot of gangster music. So real gangster music play, which I enjoy. Me and my wife get a chance to shake her foot. They had a lot of liquor flowing in that wedding, I must say. And I drank most. That, salute to the bartenders in this venue too because I never see bartenders put so much scotch in a scotch and soda in my life. I don't know if they get threatened too, like how they shoot up everybody who come in. Like the, the gangster, the bar people too. But if, if it's all them gangster music and I know these fellas are no gangster, the ladies is the gangsters in this situation. There's no Clyde, it's just a bunch of monies. Right? Now, they have one thing that I want to salute somebody here, right? Because a little, a, 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 something happened in that wedding there. That was unique for me. Because I know that my guy Kevin Farrick, as a, a, a big contributor to this podcast as well, who's always helped me. He's one of the people who helped me redesign the social media. Like, let me understand exactly what it is I need to be doing and how often I need to be posting and all that, right? And he always used to tell me that, boy, listen, my girlfriend is real. Listen to the podcast. She's a real fan. Every time she don't miss an episode and she always edit on them things. No, of course he there. He was one of the um he's one of the groomsmen who was not on no badness but playing a bag of badness music. So of course his wife was there, his girlfriend was there at the time. So when I was there early and they came in, I saw her and I I, I know she's a listener to the podcast, a, a shout out on this podcast a few times. So when I see her, this is the first time I see her in, seeing her in person. So she was with Aaron, same little brother Aaron Farrick. You're supposed to know these people if you're listening to this by now, right? And I see her coming on. I was like, hey, how are you going? Nice to meet you in person. And she's saying, hi, nice to meet you in person too. Listen, let me tell you something. <laughs> the 
this country is the most amount of mama gives me you'll ever get in your life. Because later on, I get to realize she had no idea who she was talking to. So me and know what exactly she was saying hi to me to in person. She must say, who is this Instagram stalker now who comments about nice to meet you in person and tries again? She must say, boy, let me get Kevin come here fast so that this could settle because like man looking to gain in this wedding. But I really find, to be honest with you, when I tell her nice to meet you in person, for somebody who is listening to the podcast all the time and I'm meeting you for the first time, I say, well, oh God, all right, like she don't listen too much. I say, Kevin, like he's a damn blasted liar. This girl don't listen to her thing and hear me, welcome to be here. You know, I feeling like a little bit of a star boy, like I'm meeting one of my fans, you know what I mean? I was going to sign her back, back her shirt or something. But she was just like, yeah, nice to meet you too. And she keep it pushing. Only for later on when the MCN part starts. And I say, well, my name is Corey. And I say, she's like, hey, this Corey, you're Corey. And I was like, what the hell is going on? Why, why, why is this happening? <laughs> this girl didn't have an idea who she's talking to until I say my name or she hear my voice on the mic. So salute to Alex. But where I really want to salute Alex, right, is because Chacha play a certain song in there. And this was the song I had in mind when I see the kind of gangsterism going on with people entering and all these things, you know what I mean? All this kind of... There's badness right through the whole wedding. <laughs> Even when he, when the um the best man make a speech, the best man speech is about how they used to thief the mother car, so the thing went from Call of Duty to Grand Theft Auto right in the wedding thing. As and I started, I have this song in my mind since then. And to be honest with you, a part of what I was going to do because I know two of them as podcast listeners, I say, well, let me line up some calypsos about weddings. But I'll, uh, maybe I will play some of the calypsos about weddings <laughs> before this episode done. But what I will tell you is that there are not many calypsos about weddings that have anything positive to say about weddings. Clearly, calypsonians are against marriage. Every wedding song is about how you're going to get home. How is somebody you married and the wrong person and the wedding mashup? Oh, you, you know what I mean? <laughs> a deputy essential. Everything you hear when it comes to wife, I can't find a single one that's positive. But when I hear all the gangster thing going now, I say, this is the song I have in mind. And I didn't, I, I say, you know what, the thing flowing nice, let me go and sing no song and mash up the people thing because, well, you know how wedding song supposed to go, there's not exactly a wedding song. According to my boy any voice note, wedding song supposed to go, So I say, let me do, go and sing no kaiso and mash up the people vibes, they don't have a gangster thing going on. But cha-cha, come and play the song in the end. Now, when the song come on, I have my eye on Alexa because she get on bad with the little old school soca session on the old school Kaiso. But I know from Kevin, he says she know all them Kaiso and thing because I remember one of the songs I play on the episode, which is Na Leaving, they say it's her favorite song and she know the song word for word. So she was glad when I played that song as what I think is the best nation building song ever written. So when I started to hear this song now, I watching she and I say, let me see if you really know Kaiso. And I want to tell you, Alex is a real one. Alex know this song word for word. So when I in a wedding and I hear people shooting up the place, this is the song I have in mind. I jump the wall about 12 o'clock and I'm going inside. Yes. Stand up there. People step behind, open wide. Everybody inside they like it, they fighting hard. But when I watch out their faces, mama, yo, like they're going mad. It must be the boy. 
budget that the man from White House did read. Cause all of them inside that they like a suck and crazy seed. That guy in the head couldn't come from weed. This is not a flat in here, this is madness. This is not the kind of jam where you stand up like a triple begging for mercy. This is not a flat in here, this is Everybody mad. Ay, 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 Listen, the average person when they sing that song, all they know is the mad, mad, mad part, you know. But all right, Alex, you're a real one, you know, Kaiso in real life. Respect that. So, listen, that was the day in a nutshell. It was great. I had a, a wonderful time, a great experience. I get to shake a leg with my wife and enjoy myself. As a matter of fact, because we know we was going, doing the wedding, we decided we never had a honeymoon. We get married during the COVID. And I came back right here and do a podcast the next day. So I say, you know what, if, if, if my boy Tony getting married, I'm going to go any higher and kick up my old foot now, man, and relax for the weekend, me and your old wife. Let me leave the old ball and chain home. No way, the ball and chain is your wife and your children. What's the ball and chain? Let me leave he home. So he stay by grandmother and we go on the Hyatt from Saturday. at class whole day Saturday. And I was looking forward for when class done, we could go in the Hyatt. Now, little did I know that... When you drop off your son, you're walking down because apparently the dog had to go in a dog hotel too. So when we go in, <laughs> when we go, my cost of vacation is now going up because apparently when we vacation in this house, we had to find somewhere for the dog to stay. But thankfully this time the dog didn't go in. A, listen, if all you feel this joke, I make any serious matters. You know? The dog is going to a dog hotel. That is what my life come to here now. But thankfully my mother-in-law was able to keep the dog. You know what I mean? And we went in the Hyatt and relaxed a little bit. I want to say that I've been trying to plan a vacation and see how I could get out of here and relax. I know I traveled last year and Stacy traveled last year. But we didn't travel together. It's a long time since we didn't just get some alone time, a honeymoon vibe. And the Hyatt is still here. The Hyatt nights. I went down there this Saturday. Well, she had to run up and down and carry this dog all about. But I was there from from time my class done. I checked in there about 3, 4 o'clock. And guess who is the first person I could see, boy? The old Watson Duke. I did not know. <laughs> I did not know that this was also the weekend when Watson Duke was launching the PDP. I said, well, look at God. Look at how I get content for the podcast immediately. <laughs> Everybody in the PDP. And let me tell you something. I feel it's because of how my mind so much on the wedding and the job that I had to do for the wedding. And I tired from class the day before and thing. And also the expected performance because there's a honeymoon. I want to step up again. You know, I can't make the two minutes. I'm done thing. So I have all these things in my mind. And I feel as all that make me go and ask Watson for a PDP jersey. You only believe I was riding downstairs in the Hyatt with him and I ain't got a PDP. The man, I don't have PDP hoodie. I tell you, he am a vote right now you know, because he had the best outfit. What is call it? Outfit? Merch? Whatever it is you want to call it. He on top of the game where that concern right now. So I wanted one, but I was too shy and I didn't ask him. But... Reading from the news, they hear from this Sean Douglas. It's a progressive Democratic Party leader, Watson Duke, promised a more in-touch style of politics than those of the rival incumbent parties, including helping people to get housing, distributing a thousand loaves of bread in poor areas <laughs> each week, and planning a march against recent gas prices. So apparently the application for the march done there, but I didn't realize it's a thousand bread. So every week you go with a thousand bread. Okay, 
right, it's okay, all right. Mm-hmm. Okay, Watson. He made the promises while addressing the PDP's launch at the Trinidad Hyatt Regency on Sunday. Holding a spear, he appealed to listeners to sign up as he seeks to build a Spartan army. You know, that's what I should have done. I should have told him, boy, I want to sign up. I had a real fool, you know. I, I only studied to go and just ask him for a jersey. I should have said, listen, I want to sign up. I want to be a part of the Spartan army. I want, I want to swim from Tobago to Trinidad. With you. I want to, you know what I mean? Wherever you go, I go in. And you know what I mean? I, I want a jersey to represent that. Even <laughs> some people in his Spartan army, right? <laughs> Because you're seeing about five, six of them in the in the PDP jersey around the hotel, right? True. Every time you see him, he in the PDP. Well, of course, you know. And one morning, this must be after the wedding, we coming down for breakfast, and a man in his PDP jersey, and we walk past him, and he say, "Morning." He kind of down in his phone and thing, and then when we reach back by we in the elevator, like he remember he's a budding politician. Hey, morning, morning. How y'all doing? Y'all doing good, nice man. <laughs> say, boy, politicians, politicians have a hell of a road to tread. You know, you have to play like you like. It's good season, man. Do hail out nobody and think you know that some people do talk to strangers. That fella is one, but he's a politician now, I suppose. So you know, in the PDP jersey, he had to talk to everybody. So he said anyway. Uh, also addressing the packed hall of the THA was Chief Secretary Farley Augustine. I didn't see Farley Augustine, but I like to see him too. So wait, Farley Augustine. I wonder what is his role in this push for Trinidad. He's the Chief Secretary of the THA, and I guess holding a seat in Tobago as well. So. I would assume that the safest bet might be to put him back to run for one of the two seats in Tobago. That had to be the case, right? So he might be involved in running for a seat here or anything. But he does have a reputation. Salute and thanks to my guy Marlon Mills, who's the one who pointed out this to me a long time ago, before I knew how much of a force uh, the PDP was. That Farley Augustine is a guy who on the ground. Marlon words to me was, listen, if you have a wake and thing in the area, Farley's showing up and he's meeting people and talking to them outside the election time. So anyway, they went on to say Duke accused the ruling PNM of putting itself above ordinary people, but said the PDP would never do that. On the PDP's sweep of the THA polls, he alleged that the Prime Minister wanted to tell people what to do, but Tobagonians had rejected that position. We fought with everything he had, he said of the PDP win. Duke said Dr. Rowley and opposition leader Kamlo Pasabisaso are both 70 years old, and in his view, they should be at home with their grandchildren. I want to agree with that, you know. I find, I find past a certain name. But anyway, all right. He promised a bright future for Trinidad and Tobago. We'll decentralize power from central government. We'll stop making them gods. No, no. I also saw an article going around today. Well, it was a opinion piece from Wired 868. Basically saying, what's Duke have um, assault charges and he have rape charge and why we lauding this person when we carrying them in the media? I think the media had to carry these stories because if the man launching a political party, he is in control of Tobago House of Assembly right now. Anything he says is a story. I, I I would think he's he's whether you like it or not, he's an elected leader in this country. Or his party is an elected leadership of this country. So what are you gonna do? I also feel like it's a great time for him to represent this uninterested bunch of youths. And I, I think he's going to do it well, to be honest with you. I mean, I know I joke about it and thing and the PDP, um, the PDP jersey and all that, but one of the criticisms of both the PNM and the UNC is that when them fellas win, other than the walkabouts and stuff, which well organized and I would, I'll go as far as to say orchestrated, because they have I remember when Marlene used to walk around St. James, somebody used to walk ahead of them and tell you, hey, listen, Marlene coming out if you want to talk to them. I always used to find that as a way of screening people. 
from doing the do so that you remember man didn't get the do so thing from the fellow the time i always feel like they're screening people to make sure that nobody embarrass the mp or so even those things come across to me like it's more about them than about the people but what's getting there with the people here what you say how many people can buy a house if my hdc house he asked well he asked duke said he would try to get houses built for three hundred thousand. he also hoped that every home in beatham would have a swimming pool by Watson, let me just go again. Huh? Duke said he would try to get houses built for 300000 He said he also hoped for every home in Beatham to have a swimming pool and every home in Lavantil to have a nice veranda. Listen, politicians are some of the best people you'll ever come across. You know? Duke said he planned to spend a week in depressed communities to live among residents that share their lifestyles. He lamented children hardly play cricket and football together compared to in the past and he hoped to reverse this trend and have them interact more. Yeah, look like he spent a week in here. To me, but I guess he was launching a party and all those things, right? He hoped to reduce the mindset of unhealthy competition in school, but have a more collaborative learning environment with people helping people. Listen, a politician going to say these things, right? They're going to promise you everything. And I want us to remember something when you're listening to this podcast, right? Most of the people who I know personally who listen to this podcast have some kind of advanced level of education. They either, number one, went past school and went into tertiary education and so on. Or they have vocational training and so on, in, in, in something. Or they have a profession that they study and learn their craft and they're doing it at a high level. This is, this is my feedback from people who typically listen to this podcast. Or they're in jobs that very much exposed to people with a higher level of thinking, education, money, exposure. They're traveling. We, it, it is harder to sell somebody like me and you the idea of I gonna build houses for three hundred thousand and I go and put a pool in every place in the beat up and everybody in Lavantel go have a nice veranda because if you nice and you deserve a veranda. Most of us who hear this will automatically think garbage. How are you doing that? Let me see where's the plan. Because if steel cost was steel cost, how are you building houses for three hundred thousand? Because I not in this business where you go fool me. And sell me cats and bag and tell me any damn thing you feel to say. And I vote for you and then you forget about me and go on about your business and go on right back to Hyatt. You get where I'm coming from? But I want you to appreciate that these are the kind of things that the uninterested voter who don't have all that exposure and education and money and all them things that you have that have you where you are. The uninterested voter don't have that. This sounds like a great plan that person who might know no better because i want to tell you that when you say you could build a pool for everybody and you could get a pool bill for fifty thousand, and you have three hundred thousand, you could get your house for so with three fifty thousand, you could have a house with a pool and it sounds reasonable to somebody when you have a finance minister who's talking easily and how much of billions of dollars in anything fund and this have billion dollar going so a billion dollar going there and this one travel and the travel costs how much a million dollars for the entourage to go here it sounds reasonable because it's harder for a person a person who doesn't have what you have and all the experience you have. When you hear all these, it's it sounding like just, hey, everybody teething. And if there wasn't teething, we could have do these things and we could have had the country living nice and them types of things. So, I mean, congratulations first and foremost to the PDP officially launching in Trinidad. Last thing I saw was that they're going on, um, they're looking to move down to... Penal, and I found it interesting when I saw 
they start to name people now, right? <laughs> they say the PDP introduced its other executive officials. Suzette Lowe <laughs> is the first name they call as a deputy political leader. <laughs> I don't know if you ever follow Suzette Lowe or you ever heard what she's talk about or what she stands for or anything like that, but... Let's just say she's a social media influencer. I was I was explaining something in class the other day, and I find it really very interesting, this word influencer, right? I strain a little bit, but I'll get back to the topic, right? Let me tell you something. The meaning of a social media influencer in marketing, because that is a marketing term that become a pop culture term that almost used in a derogatory way now. So when you say he's an influencer, everybody think, no, he's a, he's a you know what I mean? You're just modeling on Instagram and you're showing off your body. That is not what an influencer is. An influencer is just somebody who has been able to get a large following on social media for whatever it is they do. We have a lot of... So now, I use a real bad example in class, right? I will use the same example again. A girl called Brie, XOXO. She's an influencer of very young people, right? No, don't ask me how I know this. She's like a girl who now leaves school, but she has a big following on YouTube. She does a lot of videos about her wig and her experience. and It's not for us, right? <laughs> but she's extremely popular on YouTube. There's another guy I was looking for, and I can't remember his name, but all he show. Is I said a river line here and the people went and they curry duck and they were maracas and they eat bacon shop. He's an influencer. The influence has nothing to do with whether people paying you. You could get paid for your influence. But an influencer is not somebody who by nature taking a contract from anywhere. An influencer is just somebody who have a big following. So if you do something and you amass a big following on social media, it will be considered a social media influencer. And then in marketing meetings now, the way it works is, I will say, listen, you, 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 whatever it is you do aligns with what I'm trying to sell. So if I sell, let me use Angel Kamabach as an example, who's a, another social media influencer. Don't ask me what I know these people, right? As I just stay current for the purposes of school and lecturing and so on, right? But she has a huge following. And let's assume that she's known for hair and face. What is called the thing on your face? Makeup. You could align yourself if her target audience or the people who follow her is aligned with the people who you're trying to get to buy from you and get your products in her hands and let her do reviews. Let her do this, this is pretty common, so I'm not sure where this thing comes from that uh, social media influence is derogatory. It's just you build your following and you may be able to earn or monetize from building your following. But anyway, Suzette Lowe is an influencer. She usually is one of those people who comes on and complains about things that happen with the government or in society. She's a, oh, what do you want to call it? A societal commentator. Like, why are you doing? She's com- com- talking about the things that happen in society. Much more uh, of a direct political stance than I would be willing to take, I would say. And clearly to me, somebody who has political intentions. Because at one point, I thought she was with the UNC. The next time, I thought she was more of a kind of Philip Alexander. The next time I hear she don't talk to the UNC people at all, so she find a home. <laughs> Salute to Susan Lowe. She is the deputy, deputy political leader of the PDP. Our next deputy political leader is listed as Kizel Jackson. Now, with Stacey, who was bringing it to my attention that there was a video going around recently of a woman who was very, very upset, rightfully so, that somebody gave away her first class seat on a flight, I want to say it's to Europe, eh? And she was making some noise in the airport and putting them on blast and things as she, as she within her rights to do. So I believe that that is the same person now and she is uh, also a deputy, deputy political leader. I will also say social media influencer. I don't want to make this in no derogatory way. She has a very big following, 50-something thousand people. And she seems to be, uh, from what I could gather on it, 
a big part of her uh her content is about education, educating people, younger people, older people. She's trying to educate in a, in a mass way and really uplift people. I find her page to be very, very uplifting. So I'm hoping to hear more from her and, you know, a political party. And this is one of the issues I've always found with the third force or the, or the, or the third party or the alternative in this country. It can't be built on one person alone. You need several different people. You need an institution so that even as people go, people retire, people pass away or whatever, the institution could live on, just like the PNM and the UNC was able to do. And the NAR couldn't do so much. And the, um, whatever the others was, it seemed as though the COP going along the same road, they ain't really are wrong too much. So to be, to be an institution or to be a body like that, you really need a lot of people. So I'm eager to hear what Suzette Logan and say. <laughs> And, and what Kizel Jackson had to say as deputy political leaders. They say the chairman is a dentist, Peter McLean. I don't know who's that. Vice chairman, Miriam Abdullah and Dr. John Paul Alexander. Other officers are Ronald Rata and assistant secretary, June James, education officer, and Laura Guavero, membership officer. So congrats to the PDP. The PDP is officially launched and we're rolling. I also see, you know, I was watching something earlier and I see like... um. I see like Priest. <laughs> I see like Priest was up in the launch or something. He was there with all of them. Uh wondering if he might be, you know what I mean? He might be running for La Hawkins. Not La Hawkins, a little Dubai. I was wondering if he if he going and head to Lil Dubai and that kind of thing too. So that's what it is. I mean, he spent a little week in Hyatt and just spent a little week among the underprivileged. It sounds like he onto something. But nice. I I I'm glad to see a, another party. I think another party is a positive thing. What Duke have is issues, yes. I know the charges against him looking. Not good, but charges is charges. Charges is not convictions. The man is the, the, the party that the man leading is elected. You cannot deny the people vox populi, vox dei, and all these things. Yeah, you gotta go with what the people want. And, um, you remember <laughs> when you take all the money from one bank and carry it in the next bank? <laughs> this is things I can't forget. Or when you tell the man, I will embed this glass in your flesh. Those things not that. But listen, Watson, grow here. He lose weight. Well, what the man do? The man clearly changed, man. So I eager to hear what he have and what he going to bring to the table. In very, very surprising news as well as we are in the politics, I saw something that was so interesting to me. Somebody sent around this thing going around, going um I don't know if to call it viral or whatever. This was going around the other day. And it was clearly somebody in the society who had a lot of issues with the corrupt nature of the politics. And I want you to listen for a minute for me at how passionately this woman is talking about this. Because she was clearly very, very upset about the idea of corruption in the country. I think as we all should be, you know what I mean? We need to take a stand for the corrupt nature of those in power. But just listen to a little snippet for a minute. This is directly from TV6. Uh, and the, vo- the voice here now is the, the headline is Cocaine is the source of TNT's demise. And the person you're hearing talking is none other than Karen Nunes Tishera. Hear this, right? Economics of post-independence Trinidad and Tobago as part of the University of the West Indies' National Conversation Series. Right, right. And she vented her frustration at the hapless state of the country 60 years later. Yeah. And the reason why country is hopeless, Dr. Tuari, as you know, because both parties are seen as being corrupt. Right. And therefore, it's six on one That's... and half a dozen on the other. Exactly, exactly. And what allows them to sustain their nonsense uh-huh. is because they use the race and the religion as a separator 
of two groups. Of but course. I am telling you from mm-hmm. the inside, mm-hmm. that is what is destroying our country. Oh, the present government, she explains, has left citizens with well-placed trust issues. Mm-hmm. If you're drilling, how do you explain that your senior counsel, highly respected, mm-hmm. is telling you go to court right. and challenge that thing? Uh-huh. If I read judgments, why won't you go but you pay him $100 million. There's no trust in this government for good reason. Yeah. A manning loyalist. No, listen, no, it went on and on like that, right? To the point where she was saying that a big part, beyond the two-party thing and the race and the religion, a big part of it is that cocaine running through the country and nobody doing anything about it. Listen, <laughs> I was so shocked. Is this the same Karen Nunes Tichero who, when there was pending doom in Clico Investment Bank in CIB, is this the same person who was the, fi- was the finance minister at the time who removed all her money, closed her accounts, and not just her, her and friends. <laughs> she got everybody money out of there before the place collapsed. As the finance minister, I want to think that you would have had some information as what is to come when a bank or in investment bank like that going to collapse, or insurance company going to collapse. I remember meeting people who were talking about how much um, the collapse of CIB and places like Clico and so on affected their ability to retire, to pay for the children education. That is where they had the money that was going towards those things. And it, it, it had the place. I don't know if people remember this, but people were distraught at the time about this. About how, how you know, the impact on them. And the finance minister was so lucky in her timing of her and her friends. It wasn't corrupt then. It was just luck. It was just, you know, you get, you get, you get a, a, like divine inspiration. Because, of course, as a finance minister, you don't know nothing about no bank. Why would you know about a bank if you're a minister of finance? And you make sure and your money come out of there and your, and your squad, allegedly or supposedly. I try to remember if this is the same person. Because you're sounding real passionate about this. And this is one of the things I find about Trinidad generally. When I say our culture is a corrupt one, this is what I mean. It's, it's so deep-rooted in us, right, that we don't see it in ourselves at all. We only see when other people corrupt and other people doing things that we don't like and stuff. And if, it's a, if it benefits us, we don't have a problem with it. I, I, this is collect, I'm talking about myself to everybody. This is us collectively as a people. We don't have a problem with it if we are the ones benefiting from glitches in the process, little side door, little back door action pause, or whatever it is. We, we, we seem to be able to go along with it. But when it's other people and it's not benefiting us, or it's benefiting somebody who we don't like or choose not to like, we have a way of justifying these things because I remember her giving a lot of justification for why she would have removed her money and she still have a private life. And I, I don't know if people remember this. And I wish I could go back and find the clips that supported this. Because I was shocked to hear how angry she is about corruption. Making me wonder, what are you really vexed for? You're vexed because you're not inside no more. You're not. What's the situation? Or is it that you're good now? So you want the place to fix. I find like it's generally an attitude we have. We have people who a lot of the wealth that they get was from squatting. I could say that. <laughs> Plenty land they have is from squatting. And they get and now there's the baddest landlord that have. They want to tell people about get up and get. And if you think and you can't get your life together, or they don't like to save, or you only like to wear gold and Jordan, or you like to think, or you don't mind all the children. And, and I was like, whoa, you get so righteous. How you get so righteous? Uh, the next set of people in this country, 
get extremely wealthy because of something called protectionism. Well, let me tell you what's happened protectionism. You support the government who you want in power, and then the government in power pass laws so that certain products can no longer come into the country. And when that law passed, you already had approval to set up factory to make those very products. I'm not calling a product name because I don't want no problems. I don't want no smoke. But let us just say that I interested in a sneakers factory. I'm going to make some, some sneakers and them thing. I could make sure that the government get in power and lobby the government or get my friend who in, in politics and thing to say, listen, I put in sneakers on the negative list. And when them sneakers go on the negative list, nobody could import sneakers from anywhere again. So Nike, Adidas, all these people banned from the country. It's an embargo. You cannot import them and bring them into the country. Now, when I'm manufacturing sneakers, you have to buy sneakers from me because you need sneakers, right? <laughs> and footy pass a law too that say, only black school, only black shoe and brown shoe in school and a heavy black shoe and brown shoe are making. And, then, and, and listen, you find your way, you find your way to get ahead and say, I'm not knocking that. If that is how you figure out and you get ahead in life, anyway, a man get ahead in life, once it's not like the expense of other people's life and things, I tend to say, all right. But these same people who get, got enormously wealthy in this country because of things like that. They does not want to tell everybody else how to live and how to be in business and they need to think and you need to invest and people don't. It's like, what? <laughs> Why don't just be real and say, listen, I get through in life and now I think. Because what happens when them get through in life now is just the same thing as squatting. Them get through and they squat and they come and they think now everybody's starting to get big. They rent out the places they squat and they expand, 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 encroach on somebody else's land. You build up something there. When you, when you encroach so, how much you go sell the land for? You had to sell it to me cheap and then I put on two apartments there and all of a sudden I'm wealthy. But while I was doing that and I suck salt for a long time and I saved money, I ain't saying it's not sacrifice, you know, and I ain't saying what anybody do. Anybody who achieve a lot, work hard. You know my, you know my position on that. Nobody here get nowhere by no luck and no chance and everything. Even the things I discussed, if you know, squatting and thing, that is plenty sacrifice and plenty hard work to get there. And what they do is when they get here, you send your children now to Oxford, Harvard. They have a listen to Oxford, Harvard, Cambridge, Princeton. You send them to these schools now and Yale and all these things. And they come out, the best doctors, the best lawyers, the best business people. And, and these people now always want to talk down to you. Like if you, 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 you know, all of us have the same opportunities. And if you have like, give me a chance. <laughs> They corrupt just like everybody else. So and it's the same thing as this. When you hear the ex-finance minister so passionate about corruption, it's like it's, it's only when you good. When you good and you think you know all what's supposed to be right and what's supposed to be alright, okay, alright, no problem. Salute to you for calling out the corrupt nature everything. And should I go as far back as four hundred years ago? <laughs> because this thing come from somewhere, you know, me wasn't like I'm blaming certain people, you know, because 400 years ago, people take people from place and bring them here to work for free and all them things. Make arable land into non-arable land that you can't get nothing from again and abandon it and abandon the people. And the wealth that they associate from this was never given back to anybody who owned the country or owned the land. Look at Haiti who tried to get back their wealth or tried to get back what they own and, and the problems that they in. So, nothing new under the sun, right? This is, this is old news. Why are we talking about all this? No, I want to pick up where I left off last week too, you know, because I had a story I was following, la following last week with my boy, McDonald Jacob. And <laughs> McDonald, let me just read, eh? let me just read, because last week, where we left this off was the man saying the idea 
a friendly fire that residents talking about is hogwash. And this is the kind of words he used. Basically, condemning a man who he say was in hiding and basically saying that he better come out and you'll find him and surrender to the police and come to a lawyer and you'll be saying... And I think you know, these are strong words. I don't think as a person who's supposed to bring somebody to justice, you as a policeman, not just the police, but the highest ranking police officer they have, should be pronouncing guilt on anybody out there. It sounded a lot to me. Like he basically saying like, hey... This, this is the man. We are nobody else. This is who we're looking for. We know everything. All of the reports is hogwash. Okay? So it's hogwash, right? Reading from Giasi Gonzalez in the, uh, in the Express. Slain police constable Clarence Jilks sustained a single gunshot to the back of his head close to his neck while another bullet grazed his right temple. An autopsy at the Forensic Center, Federation Park yesterday, which concluded that Jilks died as a result of a single gunshot wound, a soul stole the express. Information with regards to what bullet killed PC Jilks, Jilks could not be obtained. Acting Commissioner of Police, McDonald Jacob, last night confirmed that the autopsy had been done but did not reveal the results. Now, this is from the 27th of April. Eh? Let me tell you when that is in relation to this. This is... Last week, Wednesday. We record last week, Monday, Tuesday, and put it out Tuesday, right? So last week, Wednesday, <laughs> the man says confirmed that there's a bullet to the back of his head. Much closer to what the residents were saying then, where there's another police officer, allegedly, who might have fired from behind the officer jerks who died. And now... After all that talk about hogwash and all that condemnation of this man, what seeming to me as if you're saying the man guilty or you have to find him or he had to turn in himself. It's, 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 look, look at what come out now. And now all of a sudden, we do, you, you went and you do autopsy, but no information about where the bullet come from. So where the, where the bullet went, it passed out, it fall, it somebody pick it up, it had no shells, nothing. If it had no shells on a scene where... High-powered weapons were being fired at you, as you all had said last week. Somebody must have come for that. These officers who was on the scene, why, if you, if you, if you saw in a, the heat of a battle, when you had time to pick up shell, and why are you picking up shells if these shells is evidence? You, you don't want justice for, 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 for PC jerks? Fast forward now to, this is two days ago from the news day, right? Former suspect in shooting of PC Clarence Jilks was released from police custody on Sunday morning after the DPP advised that no charges are to be laid against him. Newsday understands that the DPP advised the police to release Jelano Romney. Romney's attorney, Kristen Williams, said the DPP would have to give permission for charges to, of murder to be laid against him. And he's quoted as saying where allegations were made against him by the police service, the DPP has to give the permission before he could be charged for murder. The police officers would have conducted their investigation and presented that information and evidence to the DPP for his analysis as he considers whether it's a proper charge of murder or not. The DPP said no charges should be laid and therefore he is released. Acting Commissioner of Police, McDonald Jacobs, said the investigation into jokes that was ongoing. Quoted as saying here, the investigation... Offer, the, the investigating officers consulted the DPP, and when the DPP looked at everything, he decided and advised the investigators to allow him to leave. He says, by midweek next week, I would be able to respond on the status of the investigation. Today is Tuesday while I'm recording this, right? So midweek would be Wednesday, that is tomorrow. 
Uh, all right. The Forensic Sciences Center people are working assiduously to complete the ballistics because of the firearms you would have seized from the officers after the shooting. Other people need to be interviewed, everything needs to be done, and then we'll be able to speak more proficiently to the public about where we're going with this. My question is this, Sir MacDonald Jacob, Acting Commissioner of Police, top cop. Where was this measured kind of a response last week when you were sure it was Romney? Now you need time. Hear the statement he make. By the middle of the week, next week, I'll be able to respond. This is from the beginning of the week. This is Sunday of this week. Now you need a week and a half to respond because you need the Forensic Science Center. And they're working assiduously to complete the ballistics. He also said other people need to be interviewed. Everything needs to be done. So last week, when, you, when, you, when, when it was hogwash that one of your officers was involved in this, none of this needed to be done. It had no ballistics. Nobody wasn't working assiduously. No, we didn't need no time. You, you, you immediately say the suspect must be brought to justice, and if you touch one, you touch. I just listen. Even if this go, didn't go this way, right? My stance on this would be the same. Let's assume the investigation's still not done, right? So we don't know who did this, but let us assume that a, a policeman is shot. Unfortunately, it's a serious matter that calls for a serious response. As I say. All kind of place in the country talking about your car, get police vehicle. I hear some people went and and and, and park up in. Is if it's number two, it's Matlot or something like that, and some tourists and the car get breaking. And when they go in the police station, the policeman say, "Well, you don't, you don't read the papers out. All you go and park all your car there." Same thing happened in last quarter. like your car go nowhere now, and nobody in breaking your car. That start back to be a thing. And the police response to that is usually, "Boy, well, I'm gonna tell you." But when a policeman gets shot, eighty vehicles. All of a sudden, everybody available, everybody willing, everybody ready. When is one of ours? One touch, one touch all. All right. The response to a police officer getting shot is a serious matter. But where's that energy when the average man gets shot? You here to protect and to serve, not just to protect and to serve your kind or your people or your batch. You have to protect and serve all of us. That that energy that you only put into that, not there for that. And then when the man who in charge. Basically, on the scene of the thing, saying, "Yes, we know who is the main suspect, and he had to bring himself because if you're so sure, that is basically you biasing a whole case against a man. A man still has to be tried and all that. Like, what are we doing? But when it comes to your guy now, and Jill's supposed to be your guy too, so I don't understand how all of a sudden it's a whole different thing, as if Jill's life will come back now because there's a another suspect who may be a police officer." Jilks, unfortunately for him and his family, condolences to his family. His, his, his result is the same, and because what happened to him, final. But now we have a statement about, all right, give him a little time to respond to this. I'll be working on the ballistics. You know what I mean? A lot of people have to be interviewed. Nobody didn't want to be interviewed last, last time. People who was there, who say they witnessed it. You didn't, you didn't need to interview them. You said it was hogwash. You say it's hogwash. That was your response to it. And it's a sad response to people because it, it tells you something about the justice system in this country. If the first line of justice is when you deal with the police and so on, it tells you something about where we're going with the justice system. But it's a story we'll continue to follow now because my brother say, this week, he go tell me what is happening and the ballistics will come back. I'm sure the media is very eager to find out about this and the population will be very eager. I'm sure, like hell, the people down in Rich Plain and Dego Martin, I think is where this happened. They would definitely want to know what is going on. So, it's a story 
to follow. Because, <laughs> and you know, one of my belief, I, I, I don't want to say this, but my belief is that they was going to kill that man. If them police, them 80 police who went up there had fine. I don't know where he hide. <laughs> he couldn't be he and I don't seek no day in his life. Because me ain't no way he hide from 80 police officers. But I could tell you that if they had fine that brother, I think he was going down. I don't think there was letting he come to no justice or nothing like that. And thank God he had a good lawyer or a good hiding place, you know what I mean? Where we could see more of the story because this also like it begs the question, how much more of these things has happened? You know, you hear stories about people in areas and residents telling you the police execute him and they kill him and the police too wicked and how much more of this happening? And I'm glad that we had the body cams and them kind of thing, you know what I mean? So you're seeing a little bit more on people with their phone. I see one looking like they're going to a party somewhere and the police snatch where a girl phone and push down the girl. And you're seeing more of the behavior. More than likely not all the police, but you're seeing some police and their behavior. And this, this is the funny thing about it all as I move on from this topic. Gary, who also launched his party this weekend, right? The N... What the hell Gary's party name is again, boy? <laughs> If nobody can remember your party name, Gary, you're in trouble. You're in trouble already, right? Gary Griffith Political Party. I had to Google this while we're talking now. If you can't remember the name of the thing, all right, Gary launches political party. Let me do this the right way. Huh? This is from The Guardian. This is Renuka Singh. Former Commissioner of Police, Gary Griffith, is officially back in politics. Griffith announced his, the start of his National Transformation Alliance on an Instagram post on Sunday with a call for people to become registered supporters of the NDA. A key consistent in my life, sorry, a key constant in my life is that of service to my country and my people. Okay. Being of service has always been a bridge to the light for me. I got to do some little reading class. No. Being of service has always been a bridge to the light for me. And after engaging in numerous conversations, listening to many perspectives and reading your countless contributions, I am more than ever committed to the mission of improving our country through transformation and continued national support. Sorry, continued national service at this time through the National Transformation Alliance. Salute to the NTA, the National Transformation Alliance. That's what I was looking for. So Gary is... Wait, Gary's still at his number 483. Gary, Gary, like he carry home the, um, the public service phone out. That wasn't the number when he was in power. But all right, so Gary, you could call Gary at 482 Gary or 483 Gary. And go and message and pledge your support. I wonder if you have um, a GoFundMe. And Gary, I mean, it's not looking so good in the week. At least Watson was able to name some people who were running with him and thing. Um, Gary just basically said, hey, what's going on? We, we have some people, real people, real interested. And you go hear some big names coming in. That's all Gary say, Gary. <laughs> I feel Gary is me a big bluff. He's still, he's still in the recru- recruiting process, right? So... 482 Gary or 483 Gary, if you want to contribute, I hope you have some kind of GoFundMe. Or let me make a contribution to Gary. Now, if you never GoFundMe, maybe you're only fans, you know what I mean? If you get some sort of entertain some people, you never know, you raise some money. But the thing about Gary with this situation with, 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 with PC jerks is that I'm not, and I'm not an advocate for Gary or the NTA or anything. I just, I just looking at the two situations where he would have probably been on the ground much more than McDonald Jacob. No, I don't say he probably would. Now, he was on the ground a lot more than McDonald Jacob was or has been thus far. And it would, it, it, you know, remember he was directing traffic when um, <laughs> when it was Rowley versus Marshall. What's your name? 
<laughs> they go back in Gary come out in the short pants. He like action, but he would not be made to look so bad or, or end up looking foolish like this in a situation like this. Or he'd be able to recover from it better if he because he was more present in more places. It doesn't. It would not come across like if you only care because it's your officer. And when it's not your officer, you're nowhere there and you're not present and so on. Again, I'm going back to what Blaze was saying the other day. And I find Blaze put it so well. A man who likes to come on the radio and get kicked something all the time. Blaze was upset. Blaze say, how you as a commissioner will come out and tell me you're concerned. We want to see action. We want to see things happen. This is a scary time. The murder rate is ridiculous. You're reporting it on your own website. So that's where we are with that. But listen, I did promise you all that during this episode, I was going to play some wedding type songs right so this has nothing to do with the topics i just want to make sure i get enough time to play a couple wedding type songs and i don't know something about um something about when i have songs to play on a topic i kind of always end up back to lord nelson <laughs> so as much as i want to play wedding songs and thing in the air uh, in the wedding, I say I could sing. I say, well, if they bring me to MC the wedding as a podcast, they want so I was gonna get them at podcast style, but boy, listen, the wedding song's not too pleasant. So why is it taking this song by Lord Nelson by the name of Stella? Ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. Yes. Only the needle has been changed to protect the record. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here to join together this man and woman in matrimony. If any man feels that they should not be joined together, speak up now or forever hold his tongue. Me, passing, stop the ceremony. I say, wait, passing. That woman belonged to me. I paid careful the dress she wearing. I thought you was a guest in somebody's wedding. Reverend, try and understand. If she marry, I would have to be she husband. It is Stella. Stella, I am not too fast of it. Stella, I bought her the eyes. I love it. I paid the last penny to dress. Stella, I am not too fast Listen to me, Stella. Listen to Stella. Well, the priest almost passed out right in front of the three of them. Yes. When the old man showed the grab, the bridegroom is my best friend. Oh, the last night he come down by me, drink me scotch, and I let the money. Grab if you marry both of them at all. Prepare yourself to preach for a funeral. Stella, listen to me, Stella, listen. Stella! Stella! I love you! What are you going to do for you that I can't tell her you want the bung of flour? I want the sugar. Stella, listen to me. Well, the whole church went in a big uproar. The bridegroom snatched the old man and tell him don't talk no more. This ain't no time to make a confession. Told the priest, go on with the sermon. The old man raised the hand in protest, snatched the bride. And before she dressed, Stella, 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 I didn't mean to do I just do that. But I had to do something to get to prove to you, Stella. It's my money. It's Stella. Stella. <laughs> I love you, Stella. I love you. <laughs> this time 
you should see the bridegroom throwing punches left and right. The bride hug up the old man, begging him, honey, don't, don't fight. fight. I was only marrying to see if you love me. Yes. You prove your point. Let's go, honey. Leave the bridegroom on the floor. Hug up the old man and walk out the door. Okay. Stella, <laughs> you must make me cry. Though. <laughs> I know it's joke you was making, Stella. But you know you almost give me hard trouble, Stella. Stella, I love you. I love you, Stella. That is wedding song by Kiagwini people wedding and sing now. You see Stella get, Stella get the man at six five nine. <laughs> Stella, it's married Stella again, married really my girl meet him. I said, let me to go. And nobody wedding and sing that. But as we're talking six for nine, much to my surprise. Did I say six for nine or sixty-nine? Six four eight nine. Much to my surprise, I see um a headline saying get on board the cannabis train. And is quoting Faris Al-Rawi, former Attorney General and current Minister of Small Things. Um, on April 29th, from Anna Ramdasani, what do you call this now? The Express. So the thing is, young entrepreneur, listen, this world is something else. Though. We, we gain treat just like how Stella treat the old man. You know, people get locked up for weed. And when I was growing up in St. James, little road chanting man getting locked up for you to hide. No, a man would have just been attorney general or local government minister. I shouldn't say minister, small thing, right? Big thing, local government minister. And the former attorney general is basically saying young entrepreneurs must get ready for the opportunities to come in the cannabis industry. <laughs> local government minister Faris Arawi said yesterday. He also assured that there's nothing wrong in big business participating in the industry as there are safeguards in place to ensure local content. Speaking in the debate on a motion on the reports of the JSC on the Cannabis Control Bill of 2020, Al-Rawi said the government stands to stands proud to lead the way in diversity and economy. <laughs> what this committee's report demonstrates is money can grow on trees. Yes, man. Hey, politicians is greatest one. When it comes to talking, nobody can be politicians. Money can grow on trees, and now we could get $300,000 houses with pools and verandas. You gotta love it. So money can grow on trees, and that money growing on trees has economic potential that must be balanced against the risk of society. I like that. Al-Rawi assured that the protections are in place, as he noted that the report focuses on criminalizing conduct that jeopardizes the most vulnerable. <laughs> in other words, a little way we could still control it and make sure that we have control of it, right? So it's just lucky, right? He said that there will be amendments to the law when the Cannabis Authority comes into effect. Coming out of a COVID-19 pandemic and transferring ourselves now into an endemic stage, Madam Speaker, in climbing down from our reliance on oil and gas, we, the People's National Movement as a government of this country, are proud to offer an opportunity to the people in the cannabis industry because it's intended to be regulated in a very strict way. So all young entrepreneurs out there, get ready, Madam Speaker. Get ready and set for a diversified economy, which includes cannabis as an option under strict regulation. <sighs> I can't read no more of this. I used to say this about Jamaica and I want to say St. Vincent in particular as two countries who had a real opportunity in this global 
about turn on the opinion of the of cannabis or what weed is, right? And THC and C. Is what do you what do you call the next one? What, 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 using the oil, CDC, C, some kind of C thing, and the THC. <laughs> The world sees this very differently than what it had seen at any time before. Now, when I went to Jamaica for the first time, Jamaica had a very open, very tolerant stance on marijuana, as you could probably hear from a lot of the music, right? As Rastafarianism is part of the culture and so on, Rastas have been asking for the legalization of weed since forever. They always used to say ganja is the healing of the nations. Nobody never take them on. And you know, the thing about it is, Rasta also used to say two things, right? Rasta say the reason they would want to legalize it is because big farmer wanted to get control of it. <laughs> Rasta always used to say as well that they're holding, it, they're holding it back so that small men will never be able to dominate the industry. And boy, <laughs> Stalin said, you know, it have something Rasta's doing that the politicians don't know. Because look at what we come to. I used to hear them say, nah, I never believed that. You know, they used to say until Whitco and... Well, whoever is the global equivalent of Whitco are done. I don't know who's in the big cigarette manufacturers. They had always said that a big part of it was they want to make sure, just like they would have um, resisted the idea that cigarettes could be banned and cigarettes could be deemed unhealthy and all that, it seemed as though they were actively trying to keep marijuana to have a bad name until they themselves were ready to get into the marijuana industry. And a step-down process seemed to be going all the way until it's legalized. Because it's not legalized, uh, most places like Jamaica, it decriminalized or not legalized, so you could have a little bit. In Trinidad, you could have your, imagine that in Trinidad here, you could grow four trees of weed in your yard. Well, Benja had some trees. Everyone in the tree big like my house, but I think the little storm and the wind here, they blow it away. But you could grow trees in your yard and you could um you could smoke as like you could have a certain amount of weed on you, I think, as well. So we it looked like we're going further into that. And a boy, this girl oh god, what's the girl name, boy? I don't know her name offhand, but she always behind Ferris with the with the ganja laws and these types of things. And I mean, I welcome the idea of a new business or a new opportunity for people. And also for people who would use marijuana either recreationally or medicinally. I'm glad for them too because it's one less thing that they could block up people for. But the time to move on this from an entrepreneurial standpoint was 10 years ago. <laughs> if all our Caribbean as CARICOM, as a, as, a, as a region that's already known for hard weed, you know what I mean? <laughs> if we had got together and said, listen, we're going to start moves towards legalizing it because Jamaica have a reputation for it with reggae music and things in Vincent Hardweed. We are Maruga and them kind of place where you understand? And we being ousted out of sugar, everything we have with agriculture, all the favorable agreements that we had for prices for agriculture, like all them said of banana they had in St. Vincent, all them said of spices in Grenada, sugar cane and Trinidad, Jamaica, Guyana and thing, all them all of them done. What's your sugar industry in all the countries? All of them done for and when that was happening, when we were moving away from those things, it would be the perfect time for the government to say, listen, before the rest of the world move on this, we want to start with the decriminalization process so that people can start growing, experimenting, coming up with new strains. So just like how we have OG Kush and Purple Haze and Chocolate Thai, what are you now? <laughs> 
we could have a Trini Truth, a Jamaican Jandong, a St. Vincent Sinful, whatever the hell these things was, we could have just come up with our own stuff. But let me tell you something. There was a thing we talk about all the time in class. And I hear this when, when I was in class in Lock Jack back in the day. They used to tell us that around 2020, we will be in a situation where the production of oil is going to fall off drastically. And we need other industries to be able to replace oil revenues. I was in Lockjack from 2004 to 2006. Keep that in mind, right? That is a long time ago in Bethlehem, right? That is when they were telling us that. That means we had at that point in time, how much is that? 16, 18 years to be able to start to move towards new industries. So if I learned that in Lockjack, the government would have had that information because the people who was teaching me in Lockjack was Roger Hussain and Kirk Megu, people who advise us to the government and thing already or in government at the time. They would have had that information that we'd have be here in 2020 already. You could tell me <laughs> we couldn't take some of that oil money, invest it in the Caribbean here, where you have big countries like Guyana that have a lot of arable land, places like Jamaica. You know, you could make your own versions of things because what's happened to us is we always depend on what you call primary resources. It's one of the biggest drawbacks of being in a third world country like this. When I say primary resources, we sell oil, bauxite, sugar, lumber, spices, fig, all kind of things we sell in the Caribbean. When I say sell, I talk about sell to other countries, right? Not sell in the market down here. I talk about export. But when we export those primary resources, number one, a lot of them we don't own because the more complicated primary resources like oil and gas that take a lot of work to get out of the ground and a lot of technology, we don't have the expertise, we don't have the technology, or we don't have the money to get it out of the ground for ourselves. So what we do is form a leasing arrangement or a tax arrangement where British and American companies like ExxonMobil and British Gas and Australian companies like BHP Builders and so on, they come and get permission to take the oil out of the ground sell it we give it to them and we earn tax dollars on it so we make a listen arrangement so they can come here and we we remember when they come here we're not handing them a well eh? they have to come and explore and everything so they're taking on some kind of risk and so on so I don't, i'm not saying these companies doing anything wrong because they, they we need them to be able to get the oil out of the ground and they do create very very good employment for a lot of people <laughs> where people could get paid very well and get travel all over the world and get good training and work four days out of the week and all these kind of things. So it's not it's not that they're doing anything wrong. I just took our approach as a region. So we invite these people and the guys of foreign direct investment. They boost the economy because the, the tax dollars that we collect from these primary uh, resources like oil and gas usually outweigh anything that we could make in the country for ourselves. So our biggest exports will be light manufacturing and food and beverage and things. So yeah, SMG, companies like those who export, those will be our revenues. But it's a joke when you add all of them up compared to what oil and gas money is making. Right? Let me use Guyana as an example. They're going through this as a boom now, right? They export lumber. So you go and you cut down the trees and you send lumber up the road. Now what somebody is doing is buy that lumber and then do what you call added value to that lumber. So, for instance, the Ashley furniture that you're sitting on, a lot of the lumber would have come from Guyana. But nobody don't know that. The customer that is, the customer don't know that, and they don't care. They believe in the name Ashley. 
So if tomorrow Ashley decide they're gonna get lumber from somewhere else, Guyana Guyana gonna suffer because the customer gonna still buy Ashley because what we believe in is the Ashley name. We get our next example, right? The Victoria's Secret that we love so much. A lot of it was being sewn and assembled right in Guyana. But again, nobody knows that and nobody cares. Everybody loves Victoria's Secret. And when they say semi-annual sale, you don't care which part they sew your thing or which part they get your thing from, you go in there. So the issue with primary resources is that you're taking the raw thing out of the ground and you sell it just like that. You don't put a brand name to it. You don't add any value to it at all. So nobody sees you as connected with that product. You could only get what the market willing to pay for it. You know, it's called price takers, right? That's why the oil price is a world price. Guyana, how much oil they want, them cannot set the price of a barrel of oil. So when the, when the, price, of a barrel of, uh, when the price of a barrel of oil should plummet, and they have a budget based on a $50 budget and it is $10 a barrel because everybody using renewable energy. Them scrambling. All the boom they have now, they will be scrambling. We went through this before. Get where I'm coming from? So the idea that we so quickly just sell out our primary resources is a hell of a thing. And unfortunately, as much as Faris is calling for young entrepreneurs, I think that this is going to be the case with weed too. Because some of the finest chocolates in the world, the cocoa has come from right here in Trinidad. Trinidad, my good cocoa. You know what I mean? It's come from right here. But again, people believe in brand names. People are going to continue to buy Cadbury chocolate regardless of where they get their cocoa from. Once they could maintain a standard that people are happy with, they believe in that. So if we uncompetitive or our thing expensive to make or climate change or whatever happened here, they could easily switch away from us, go to somebody else who have high-quality cocoa and still make their money because nobody ties it back to Trinidad, you know? When our bends come from Germany, it have meaning because they're not selling a primary product. They add value to it and they make a car with a nice brand name and thing that people could believe in and buy into. So, you want, you want my predu- prediction for the, um, for the ganja industry in the region? We will end up being suppliers of raw materials as, as we've always been. Where we do sugar, we do this, we do that. We're going to plant up this thing, package it compressed, send it up the road. Somebody else is going to put a label and a brand name on it. So when we're making cents on the dollar, they're going to be making dollars on the dollar. And I see it coming already. Thankfully, at least they had people who had a little more foresight. And I mean, this happened to us many, many times as a region. So salute to people like Damien Junior Gong Mali and the whole Mali Foundation. For their approach to it, because I understand that they had already bought out a prison or two in the California area that they already turned into weed plantations and they have their own brand of weed. I think Juju Royal. I can't remember the name of the thing, but they have some of their own brands and strains of weed. And say, why can't a Mali weed become... No, cigarettes is a bad example, right? But if, if cigarette, big thing was Benson and Hedges as a global recognized brand when people like to smoke. Why are Juju weed couldn't be the most recognized global brand that we could smoke to or whatever the local version of it for, for, for Trinidad here? We could do that. But uh, my fear is that we're going to just sell bulk weed. Like, oh, um, when you're going on, when you're going on a lot of, um, resorts, like all inclusive resorts and so on. We used to be drinking something that's called bulk rum. (laughs) 
because a lot of times you're not you, you might not be interested in the you go on an all inclusive resort that ain't the highest end all inclusive resort you're not going to see the biggest brand names I'll call it out. I'm going to press something and rum going to come out. So what they sell is bulk rum and unbranded. And I understand that Angostura is a big producer of bulk rum. So again, if they feel to buy bulk rum from somewhere else, who cares when they go on the resort and they go and get it? All right, fire seller, are we all right? Get, get ready for the ganja industry and so on. I hope that in some way, youths could really benefit from it, not just from growing your weed and smoking it here, but turning it into an industry that become. Well, let me start with a company. <laughs> Not just our industry, but a company that could become globally competitive, as we've seen with companies like uh, Sasha Cosmetics and so on. We we have what it takes for local brands to go out there and compete on the international stage. And I would think that in weed, we don't have a competitive advantage because we're seen as a place to come and smoke weed and thing already in, in the islands here. But anyway, I really come here to play wedding songs. Me and come to hear about Faris and them, right? So this was the other wedding song I had in mind. And then I realized, I go, okay, I play this wedding song. It ain't gonna sound good. You're making yourself a baby show, Melda. Self a bloody clown uh, Up and down the country Looking for Oh yeah And your perspiration Smells so strong Well Girl you only Wasting your time hmm. Oh yeah Wedding bells Don't chime And you can't trap me With necromancy <laughs> Melda Oh you making Wedding plans I still ain't going married to you. <laughs> oh. Yeah, in your bosom. Me name in your shoes. If you really want a wedding ring, Melda, there are many ways and means like scrubbing your teeth and bathing regular so my water keeps you fresh and clean well nastiness going cause your debt you're no man can't stand your breath you too damn nasty get away from me Melda I still ain't going married to you. Look how many nights we hug up tight, tight, tight. All we ever know was love and peace. Oh, 
Another news. On to some lighter things. Dwight York ready to coach. Listen, I want to see Dwight York become a coach real bad. I mean, on this note, my fantasy team is over, right? I think I'm ready to throw in it all for this fantasy year. Because I think I had a little too much faith in Chelsea coming down to the NA and I say, listen, if I had to win this fantasy league, I put in all my faith in Chelsea assets and Chelsea has done absolutely nothing. But in all the bad Manchester United news, I feel like there's some good Man U news here where Trinidad Tobago Manchester United legend Dwight York is hoping to parlay his appointment as head coach of the A-League All-Stars into a permanent coaching post. Earlier this week, the A-League winning Sydney FC captain was, was named coach of the All-Star team that will face Barcelona in a one-off friendly at Man United's Aeon training ground. York, who recently competed his UEFA Pro license, has applied for the Aston Villa post in the past, but this will be his first coaching job. A statement earlier this week, York said, I'm announcing to the world that I'm finally qualified and ready for a leading role. After winning the trouble with United, York played 22 games and scored 7 goals at Sydney FC in the 2005-2006 season. I remember that when York was playing down in Australia. That would be just before he come home and um, help steer us to the World Cup. You know what I mean? Australia was where he was playing at the time. But I'm glad to hear this. I mean, as our all-star team, I was wondering, you know what I mean? What's this happening here? Because I thought it was a real coaching post. Because our all-star team sung into me like a one-off situation. But the nice thing about it is it is a real good look. Because you're getting to play Barcelona. Now, I don't expect Barcelona to play their full strength. Well, <laughs> maybe maybe Barcelona going to need to play their full strength side because, you know, they're looking so good for the Barca rights these days. But I'm glad for, 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 for Dwight York. And I, I think that you're seeing where, the, in, in the Premier League especially, are starting to see younger coaches starting to get opportunities to come in. And boy, how nice it could be for you, boy, Yoki, to get a little coaching job in the Prem. But yeah, I'm telling you now, as, as a man like Chelsea and everything, you know how I feel about these um teams of these enslaving nations and so on. But I like Chelsea. But I'm telling you now, whatever team York get he work with, I'm back in that side. I ain't missing no game. I would love to see him come up as one of these things. Latipi done there already in terms of uh, being able to coach. Or I think he'd be probably ahead in his UEFA Pro license because he... Do you have to do that to be a national coach? That's a good question. I ain't sure. But it seems as though that to be further into his coaching career at New York. But I, I was happy to see this and I'm glad that Yorkie is heading up there with these folks. Uh, another one of our high achievers. Now, I'm trying to get through this episode without talking too much about Melee, right? Salute again to Kisha and Tony for having me own Melee down here over the weekend. At least I was in a wedding because some of them Melee thing was making me feel sick, you know? Now, you know, I had the option to bust out and go melee, but I didn't end up going. But it's a good thing, because I would have missed the wedding if I went melee. But I saw an article from Joel Julian in The Guardian that I wanted to highlight as well, and salute to 
Elizabeth Liz Montano, Elizabeth Lady Montano. She said the term momager has become popular in recent times. As the name, impl- as the name implies, is a combination of mom and manager and refers to a mother who manages her child or children's careers. But Elizabeth Lady Montano, the mother of soccer star Marshall Montano, and also his manager for 20 years, does not associate herself with that term. She said, first to begin, I keep it separate. I was never a momager. I was a mother and I was a manager, and I kept the two roles very separate. The public never understood it when I was a manager, but Marshall was my boss, and Marshall is a tough boss because he always demands a certain a certain set of excellence. Well, he's just a rumor, but I suppose it's kind of right because that's your boss. So if you're the manager, you're in charge, and <laughs> I don't think I want to cuss up my mother, but I don't make my mother my boss if that's the case. But wait, my father is my boss. I better cuss him up. You see, tomorrow I'm going to cuss up my father. <laughs> However, when we are home, mother and son is a totally different dynamic. I, I ain't so sure. But anyway, and Montano believes that separation was able to help her relationship or their relationship blossom, although many others have been skeptical about their dynamic. She says, we are very close. He does nothing without coming to me. We make jokes and it's totally different. So it was no big thing to me. It was a problem to the public or some of the people. I always tell my children, know your truth. Uh, speaking to the Guardian at ecstatic office along Gordon Street, Montano gave us some of her tips. So she went on to talk about this, right? But I believe that she is launching a book. That's what I was trying to get to. Here we go. Now she launching a book. <laughs> she launching a book. I ain't seen no way here in the article, but I know Liz Montano launching a book. Let me just make sure I do the right thing here. Only I still still drunk from the wedding. Only work with me a little bit here, Liz. Montano, well, this Montano book, alcohol is a hell of a thing. Uh, where did it go? I seen a white woman named Liz Montano. Earlier, Liz Montano, Marshall's mother, she have a book coming. If this not true, just pretend you never hear this part of the episode. I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that she say she was writing a book. And I think the book is about herself and so on. Let me, let me hope that any others I say here have anything to do with anything. Um, let me go back to playing song. You see why the man is coming and play Calypso? Because me and so sure about why he's been reading and singing. I still still drunk from this wedding. So, a next song about wedding that I thought about, that I say I can't go and disrespect the people occasion by playing this song with great mighty shadow. You're looking for home. 
See, I to abandon the plan, and no, because Calypsonians clearly do value marriage and thing too much. If it's if it's not about a obia, you get I don't. It's about horn or some man. The next one is to sing. If you want to happy and live a good life, never make a pretty woman your wife. I said, what the hell is I can't sing no Calypso any people wedding. I don't want no problems. On the topic of the book that Elizabeth Montano was supposed to write or wrote. I want to talk about somebody who actually write a book and a show about Celeste Mohammed wins the OCM Bocas Prize. <laughs> a, de- a debut novel described as described by the judges as rollicking, enjoyable, and at times incredibly moving is named the outstanding Caribbean book of the past year. Pleasant View, the first book by Trinidad and Tobago, Celeste Mohammed is the winner of the overall 2020 OCM Bocas Prize for Caribbean Literature, which comes with a cash award of U.S. $10,000, sponsored by OCM, the region's largest media house. I just want to say salute to Celeste on your debut, your winning thing. So you see the greatness here, you know, just like Dwight, you're going to do greatness. We have people doing greatness here in the, in, the, in the author. And maybe Liz Montano, if she really did write a book, could win this OCM Prize next year. Who knows? But I came across Celeste Mohammed in... Uh, Dylan Marshall Messiah on the squad at the BCLF, the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Caribbean Literary Festival. And the other podcast that I produce called Coco Pod. I want to encourage you to go across there. And you could hear an excerpt of her reading from her own book. Because Marsha and them on top of the game, and you know, Marsha and their role is really showcasing and highlighting the Caribbean authors and telling Caribbean stories in Caribbean voices. That's what the Coco Pod is about. And I've heard several different authors. I'm not a big reader, I'll tell you, as an audiobook kind of guy. So the podcast is a good way for me to get exposed to some of these uh, authors that I may not have been exposed, or probably would not have been exposed to in the first place. But I remember as a young fellow, I'm not sure if people would have read a lot of... Um, Oh, wait, no, this episode didn't even publish yet. Come and think about it. <laughs> Sorry, yeah? <laughs> this is not a Liz Montano moment. The thing is, we recorded the episode and think already, but I'm now going back through the podcast and it's not there yet. So what I'll do, I'll tell you when Celeste, <laughs> I'll tell you when Celeste episode supposed to come up. But just the idea of um, hearing the stories from Caribbean authors in their own voices takes me back to the first real Caribbean author I read and connected with which was Samuel Selvon. Now, I can't remember the book too much, and it was it was a part of class. And Fatima, I don't think we had a drama class, so it's probably English literature, maybe. But I couldn't take too much of the Shakespeare and the Macbeth and thing. I ain't gonna lie to all you. I tried with the house for Mr. Bizwas and thing, but it was so... It was, I, I find it was hard to read. It was What I find was really good about Naipaul is that in House of Mr. Bezos, the way he wrote, he spent a lot of time describing the scenery 
or describing people. So you, you, it was hard to read that book without having a vivid imagination or a vivid picture of what he was describing because he used to go into a lot of detail about the scenery but i just find that that make the book hard to read because once i hear what's his story like where we going here and you're taking this long thing talking about baba and why nobody don't like baba and his crap catcher is the only thing worse than a baba i couldn't deal with too much of that sorry i know he's the greatest that ever do it in trinidad but it was my thing but i remember reading samuel selvon and the purpose of it was for a play that we had to do in school which i'd, I'd always like doing that maybe that's something i would do at some point in life and you know? i feel i could i feel i have a little play i could write in me you know? i feel i, have a, I, I could write a play because i used to enjoy doing that in both school when you and fatima doing it pause and we used to go to camp in victory heights church camp and i used to come up with these ideas for plays we always used to have a night where we do plays and a lot of times i was writing all the plays and stuff i feel like something i want to do and I have it in my but they, they gave us this book by Samuel Selvon and they told us to act out one of these scenes. And it was a kind of husband and wife situation at home. I can't remember it was the exact scenario now. And I, I really can't remember which story it was either. But I remember having a lot of fun acting it out. And that was the first time I learned about him. And I, I didn't know much about the person. But and I had to be careful about, like, I saw somebody post a meme on this the other day talking about, don't go talking about what they didn't teach in school because you probably wasn't paying attention. And that was definitely me. But I do remember them going into a lot of detail about who the author was and where he come from and all that. Because while I was doing that book, I thought he was Jamaican. I find out long after that Samuel Selvon was, was, was a Trinidadian, Trinidadian who moved to London. And a lot of that I learned through my experience with the Cocoa Pod and with Marshall. And... Just hearing Caribbean authors tell their stories, and it, it is very, very interesting listening to it. So, in the meantime, head over to CocoaPod and listen to the people who they are now. They have some great stories. Uh, one that comes to mind is a one called Rum Shelf by Brandon McIver. A really, really good book. And there's another one that was about, um, the book was about basically funeral scenes in Trinidad. I'll tell you my three favorite ones, right? I believe the name of it was... Was it Bitter Tea Boy? He was talking about uh, the, the situations where... Oh, no. It's The Whalers by Akim Alexis. I train you to. That book... Listen, that excerpt, him reading The Whalers, it was about people who go to funeral for the sake of crying. He was talking about how we prepare to go funeral and we prepare to cry. And that's one of the things I was talking about in the wedding and without making it dreary. Family and friends coming together for positive occasions like a wedding is such an important thing because a lot of times, the only time you see family together like that is for a funeral. So a wedding I find to be such an important thing for the celebration and the legacy of a family. I didn't even know Chumley. He said it was a, a Guyanese name. So there are a lot of people who are from Guyana, friends from Canada, people from here in Trinidad and so on. And it's such a nice thing to see people come together for that. But with, with Akim Alexis's story, it was about people who... The whalers being people who go wedding to cry. He was talking about his aunts and so on. And then there was one, I think I told you all about this before when I was talking about this podcast, but Diana McCauley singing with the orphans. Very, very moving. And the way Diana speaks and everything is gay in it. Because she was just talking about being like growing up in a home with orphans and having to go and sing by people and do caroling for in the wealthy houses. That's a thing in Jamaica where they get the orphan children to perform a choir. And then the orphanage is paid to go by these uh, these folks and sing. And she was just talking about how it ju- it's just a really a show of opulence in front of people who who don't have. 
And of course, go and check out. I, I, I'll let you know when Celeste Muhammad drops so that he, he could check that one out. But that 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 singing with the orphans brought me to this um this place that we were reading with that uh Gatsby Dolly. Nan Gatsby Dolly found out this story or you know, this thing came out about how many children being abused in homes in Trinidad and Tobago. And listen, that is that is a very sad thing. And that's understating the whole thing. is something that I think we all know if we're being honest with each other or we're being honest with ourselves. We all know that was happening. I remember stories like this coming out before. I remember a story about St. Michael's Boys for the Home in particular, where one of the women who was a caretaker in the home had one of the boys living home by her. A lot more of that has come out. I remember, if, if, if I remember right, this was early in the social media days where... Things didn't used to go viral in the same way because we didn't have WhatsApp and BBM or any of those things yet. But I remember they showing you like a little video clip of a woman in one of the homes. It was looking like they were under a house or something and they were bathing. Like, you know, when you have an outdoor shower and all of them naked, she is a big woman, you know, this is not your children or nothing like that. You stand up there bathing naked with these little young boys and it's like there's some weird stuff happening in these homes and... Boy, listen, it's like prayers for everybody involved in this situation. I hope that it leads to genuine reform in these organizations. And this is the areas where we had to take mental health seriously, you know, because the screening of people who are going to work in institutions like these is so critical. Because a man who have a, I, I believe that these people, pedophilia and them thing, you is a mental, you are a mental case. You have a mental problem, I feel. That's my opinion now. And, we must find a way to screen them from being a part of the public system or part of any system where they are wrong children because that is what they will seek to do. If an alcoholic drinks out all the money, the next place he could look for work is a bar, I feel. So I, I just hope this this story really just come out today and I reminded of it when I heard uh, Diana McCauley's story about singing with the orphans where, listen, to be an orphan is a... It's rough stuff, yes. In, in an orphanage, you'll find people like my grandparents, who, my grandfather will come out of the orphanage and learn music and stuff. And I'm sure he would have had many, many stories of things that would happen there. And you'll find a Roy Cape who come out of the orphanage and become one of the most prolific musicians the country have. But uh, the dark side is there and it's presented today. But in the sense of Roy Cape, I want to salute to everybody, as we, as we mentioned, Roy Cape. Salute to college boy Jesse, who is now the lead singer in Roy Cape and the All, or the, or the All Stars band. Uh, salute to Kyrie people, to the tribe people at Melee, to Live in Love, who had, who had jumped over the weekend. So we seem to have a little mini carnival going on in, 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 in the mix here. And I hope that, I was seeing somebody saying August is a good time for a fet season. I find, we are, I guess if we have um carnival and when it's normally scheduled, May might be a little bit early to have a cluster of it. But I, I, I salute the effort to make a, 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 a July or August a FET season, not the band launch, half a FET, where people want to dress up nice and come and thing and pose and costume. Carry them band launch and them in Napa. Time to do them things somewhere else. Go and do that in a little carib theater and let people watch costume if they want. We want a FET somewhere between July and August. If we could get that done... That could be nice. That would be that 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 would be a special part of it. And I also heard them talking a lot about um about a Tobago carnival. And if we could get a Tobago carnival, that again could make things sweet. You know what I mean? So we have something else to look forward to on the calendar. So along with the weed that we plan to sell, we could probably use this to boost tourism, boost the economy, and all that. And listen, if we had a boost tourism, somebody in Hyatt had to clean the rooms, eh? Because today for two days. 
They never come and clean the room. We, and when I went there the first day, I had food. You know, so usually when you eat food and stuff, you just put the, the plate and thing back outside the room and they'll pass. That food stayed there from when I went there Saturday evening until I left there Monday afternoon. Hyatt, we had to do better than that. All the, um, all the people who's listen to this, who's associated with the Hyatt, no name shall call. But we had to do better than that. I didn't understand what happened in Hyatt. And the room next to us had a plate of food there or leftovers there. Our bag from Popeye's left over outside the room for the entirety of my stay. Nobody come and clean. You know, they come and turn down. They're one of the big, biggest benefits of being in a hotel, right? When they come and they sort out your room and thing. Anyway, they run out of time. And I have there a couple more things I want to cover you. This is from The Guardian. And maybe I go end on that. I just, I'll end on this thing from The Guardian, right? But I just want to say that Ozark is back out. I want to salute. Oh, you see how the wedding was shooting up the place? I want to I wanna bust some shots at people who is post spoilers on Facebook and thing and just spray. So, Vaga dead. Nobody should just Christ. We want to watch the show too. Nobody wants to sell out the wises do that. The show coming out week to week. Give people a chance to watch the thing now. When all you watch it now, all you going to post picture Vaga, Vaga, Vaga. So, when I watch any episode, I don't know why it has happened. Because I was trying not to watch Better Calls All until a few episodes come out. Because I hate this one week, one week thing. It's getting me mad. But I'm glad that they bring out Ozark, so that holding us over, so that will help me get from week to week. And Ozark, I mean, Better Call Saul going real good too, but Ozark is one of the greatest series I ever see. The way Ozark ended the last time there, I could not believe it. And uh, a few episodes into this season so far, so salute to all the Ozark watchers. You will get no spoilers. That's one thing, you always know you're in a safe space. It's had no spoilers to, to, to come here. Just letting you know that you have to take it in. And if you ain't watch Ozark yet, go straight to episode one. And take it in. It's worth all the hassle and all the effort. You will get there. Alright, let me end on this. I see an article in the in the Guardian that I found very, very interesting. <laughs> the Trinidad and Tobago Police Service. The headline is that romance fraud is on the rise. This is by Akash Samaru, none other than the Akash. The Trinidad and Tobago Service Fraud Squad says that romance fraud is on the rise in the country. <laughs> What is romance fraud? During a media briefing at the police administration building on Port of Spain on Thursday, this type of scam was described as one of the most prominent since the beginning of the pandemic. <laughs> romance fraud is where persons meet up people on social media and exchange contact information. Eventually, one party gets attached to the other. Then they offer to send care packages containing valuables like cell phones and money. But the victim is required to pay the clearance cost of these packages. In fact, Inspector Trisha Smith of the Fraud Squad explained. Smith so far, Smith said so far in 2022, there have been 16 reports of victims losing up to $1.3 million. <laughs> That's not funny. Six, Smith said so far in 2022, there have been 16 reports of victims losing up to $1.3 million. In 2021, Smith said 33 reports of romance fraud over the, of the, Smith said in 2021, there were 33 reports of romance fraud. Of the 49 overall reports, Smith said no one has been arrested this far. Now, think of this, eh? If they have 16 reports so far and people lost 1.3 million, <laughs> the 33 reports by, by, by my math, that is about 2.6 million or so, that's double the amount last year. So if we only in March this year, what are we in April now? No, we in May. <laughs> if we only in May and only then reach 16, that means we look at we on record to break the 33. <laughs> but uh, wait, I want to I want to just check out something here, right? 
Again, scam is one thing. And you see Jamaican artists now singing about scam and thing like it's a normal thing. But this is not a nice thing. You know, you're loving, you're falling in love and people rubbing your money. I just checking something here. Six, 1.3 million divided by 16 is $81,250. So that means on average, everybody has a mean. And the mean is 81000 I mean, or like a scam 80-something thousand in the name of love and sending cell phones and so on. Okay. The fraud squad said the public should be aware that sometimes what the scammer is proposing is illegal and should be their first warning sign. Be very wary of people who are reaching out to you online and trying to engage in these relationships. Also, these packages are said to have large sums of money. There's a procedure and it's against the law to import money into the country and not declared. So you can also commit an offense by doing that. <laughs> so land fraud is also very popular. <laughs> so I'm not sure what would I make. I mean, what, what, what would it cause romantic fraud to be on your rise during the pandemic? Is it that people lonely? Is it that people, I mean, Trinidad, if, it, if it's a place where you know to pay for love, you can pay for love in Trinidad, at least a semblance of love or you could get all to love you. Remember the LC song I played from Kitchener last week? Kitchener say LC overcharging people like hell. No? <laughs> but you could get all to love for small money. I know what they're putting themselves through that for. So, I mean, salute to all the people who find an online romance and thing, but... <laughs> Most importantly, I want to dedicate this episode to my guys, my squad, Keisha and Tony, for a beautiful wedding. I think they're a great couple. They balance off each other well. Because as I say, Tony is Tony and I know gangster in him, and Keisha ready to gangster people. That we call balancing life. I had a great time at these guys' wedding. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I could get Aaron Farrick, Chacha, myself and Sasha to come together and make a little wedding company and see if I could make some money in this wedding hosting thing. My only problem is that uh, what worked last time, I'm going to say the exact same thing in everybody's wedding. And if it ain't work, it ain't work. But you can check me. You know what I mean? I'll get a little wedding package for you. I call Richard Trumpet is come and do. I have confessions. And uh, the, the Tony would like to say that he loves Keisha and Keisha and everything. I can't I, I, I make a podcast like that and make a little dollar too with me. Me and nobody else. <laughs> But salute, salute. This episode is dedicated to these guys because of the support and help they've shown me in developing this podcast as to what it is into what it is today. And also stay in my mind to make sure that it continues to grow and get better. So here you now, I want to play a little song before, before, before I go. Because <laughs> you can't come and say you're playing wedding songs <laughs> and not play a song by the King of Bacchanal. So I want you to take in this one, right? <laughs> this is one of my favorite wedding songs in the Calypso genre. Take in this fellow. Yes? Sting, bon food vizina, pick up a ring. Mama, that is sting, bon food vizina, no get a ring. From the day she married, busy girl left handed. Anything that she had to do is the ring on the finger she's showing you. And if you hear she, I am Mistress Joseph, I am bon food vizina. Call me Mistress Joseph, got to put handle to me name. I know I have a legal husband, I'm a highfalutin woman. All you look at me, busy today are reaching society. 
If you see the man who put the ring on his then to really match is a faulty from salt readers calling scratch. Every month scratch making a jail. When he outside, you sure he on bail. Them school children does make she whole with Mistress Vizina scratch when he fall. If you hear she, I am Mistress Joseph. I am on foot busy again. Call me Mistress Joseph. You have to put handle to me name. I know I have a legal husband, I'm a highfalutin woman. All you look at me, busy, a rich in society. Tell them. This one was the best. She going to buy my toilet Tie up she belly for people to feel she in pregnancy. Gone by the hospital and complain. Telling the doctor she getting pain. They tell she undressed. They say not in life. All you must respect Mr. Joseph wife. I am Mistress Joseph. I am on both busy again. Call me Mistress Joseph. You have to put handle to me name. I know I have a legal husband. I'm a highfalutin woman. All you look at me, visit a rich in society. When you watch busy in the market, busy like a bee. Basket pack of high, you will swear that there's so much thing that she buy. But it's three and a fig she get from a vendor. Two heather left this cover it over. Then talking loud for people to hear. Well, you don't find the things in the market here. I am Mistress Joseph. I am on foot busy again. Call me Mistress Joseph. Got to put handle to me name. I know I have a legal husband. I'm a highfalutin woman. All you look at me, busy, a rich in society. Yes. I will talk to you all next week. We are doing this episode in the name of love. Oh, when they start, what do you think it's going to be water? But it's love. It's Tony and Keisha. This one is for you guys. Goodbye. See you next week.